mind with, with Michael Cohen. I, they don't even you. need it. Two things. I'll leave it on this. They don't need a hearing to decide this. In fact, almost never in my career has a notice of removal filed led to a hearing. It's done usually on the papers. Usually Trump there's, there's not an evidentiary hearing nightmares. even conducted. 14 hours Alvin ago. Bragg can file a paper, paper, but if the notice of removal is not appropriate on its face, on the four corners of the document, the judge can just reject it and deny it. And if he denies it, it is not appealable to any federal circuit court. It dies in that chambers with the judge, period. So we're not going to have an appeal. This is going to get ruled on really quickly, Ben. It could be within a week. It definitely did not go as Donald Trump planned. And as I mentioned, there is now language in this removal that he thinks his crimes are federal as well. So maybe the feds are reading that and saying, you know what, maybe we should take a second look at that. But also talking about state prosecutions or at least state criminal investigations. Pull up a they didn't put on any evidence. They put on no evidence. So if you have to weigh the evidence, weigh all of the evidence we showed you, none of the evidence that they've showed you, and they haven't done anything to rebut the evidence. Now, there's a number of weird things that could always happen in a jury deliberation, especially here because you have not just, does it have to be unanimous, but not to confuse you, the jury in this is anonymous, um, meaning that normally you get to know the names of jurors. When you get to know the names of jurors, you get to do some things that whether you're supposed to do or not, all lawyers do it in jury selection, which is you run the social media searches on them and you try to find out maybe if they're not telling you everything by looking at things that they may have posted or they liked. Because it's anonymous, because of Trump's threats, my own view of that is that actually helps Trump more than it helps the E. Jean Carroll side of it um, because you really want to guard against that one potential stealth juror who can make this a hung jury in this situation. And so the only risk that I see is whether or not you got a one stealth in there that you didn't know during jury Fucking selection. Right Popak will give you the final word on this one, and then we'll move on to the next topic. Yeah, no, I, I think you got it exactly right. It's uh, She gets the benefit of the preponderance, which is really not even 51. It's like 50.000. It's just a feather just a feather on one side of the scale. But she's got to run the table, 9-0. And he's got to just get one. And oh. we know there's one on there based on it's yeah. anonymous, but we did get some... Uh, demographic information, socioeconomic information about them. We know where they work, how old they are, male or female, and uh, we know where they get their news sources from. And one of them in particular, which is everybody's a little bit on our side of the aisle, is a little bit worried about, is the guy that said he only gets his news from the internet, from podcasts, and primarily right-wing podcasts. So he's probably not watching Legal AF right now or the Midas Touch Network. Um, but, look, think about I'll leave it on this. Deliberations. We've seen them on TV sometimes. It's not usually that interesting. So unless the, sh the movie is about the deliberations, like 12 Angry Men, uh, a very famous movie, we don't usually get into the jury room, even in movies and television. Occasionally you do. But there, that is where, that's where the sauce is made. And you have the personalities. Who's going to be the jury for person? Is it going to be just the person who happened to sit in seat number one? Or are they going to elect the jury for person? Other than that, What's the personality of that person? What's their background? And how do they help shape the dynamic of the interaction between 
the jurors, as they go through the evidence, they ask for replays of certain evidence or things to be sent in, and they start talking to each other about the facts against the law and the burdens of truth and the evidence as charged by the judge um, as they send them off into the, uh, into the jury deliberation room. You and I only get to see that, frankly, even as practicing trial lawyers. If we go through the effort of using what's called a mock jury with a jury consultant, which I believe they're using at the Trump side, meaning we presented a version of our case to two paid sets of jurors usually uh, who get demographically or similar to what we think the jury pool is going to look like in a jury, and we present our case, and then we put, and they know they're being, they agree that uh, the deliberations will be filmed, the video, that we'll be able to watch it, and we watch these mock jurors deliberate over the way we presented the case on both sides, and we go, oh crap, that piece of evidence didn't go well, that testimony, we got to work on that. Look how they're going off into one direction on that one witness in a way that we didn't think about, and that helps you recalibrate for the presentation of your case before a real jury. So what happens now against that, even that one person who came in as a right winger, right wing podcast person, the weight of eight other people on that person. Okay, we'll see what happens. We could get a 9-0 vote or, as you said, we could get a hung jury and we don't get We don't get a a verdict in favor. I don't think it's going to end up being a. But let's just give the permutations. It's either going to be 9-0 and they rule in favor of E. Jean Carroll. 9-0 9-0 and they rule in favor of Donald Trump, or it's going to get hung up, meaning they can't get one or two across the finish line, despite the judge giving them a charge to continue to deliberate, continue to deliberate. There's going to reach a point later in the week if they haven't, if they got a holdout, where the judge is going to throw up his hands and say, we don't, we have a hung jury. And yep. then three, yep. No, and, and, and then three quick points right there. Number one, I know E. Jean Carroll's lawyers did three mock juries, um, and, uh, and, and they've explored the different permutations there. Um, number two, when it comes to uh, jurors, jurors are not allowed to discuss their deliberations with other jurors until the case is finally over. So they could say hello to each other in the hallways and talk about their personal lives or whatever, but they're not allowed to discuss the case with each other until they get to the jury room when the case is handed to them. And then one other point, Popak, um, uh, Donald Trump's mother is from uh, Scotland, which also uh, just kind of also makes Donald Trump's anti-immigration policies just kind of extra uh, egregious there as well. I want to talk about some of these developments taking place in the Manhattan District Attorney's ongoing uh, criminal case against Donald Trump, and also want to talk about what's going on in Fulton County, Georgia, with the ongoing criminal investigation there. We'll talk about that when we come back from this quick break. This is Michael Popak, Legal AF. Cold turkey may be great on sandwiches, but there's a better way to break your bad habits. We're not talking about some weird mind voodoo from your wacky neighbor or some sketchy message board. We're talking about our sponsor, Fume. And they look at the problem in a different way. And now, back to the video. And welcome back to Legal AF. Let's discuss what's going on in the Manhattan District Attorney's criminal case against Donald Trump. Of course, 34 felony counts under New York state law for falsification of business records in connection with Donald Trump making hush money payments to Stormy Daniels and falsifying the records, trying to claim that they were legal retainer fees for 
uh, his former fixer, Michael Cohen, who, by the way, has got a podcast here on the Midas Touch Network called Political Beatdown and Mea Culpa, but kind of an under-the-radar hearing with big implications was held, right? It was kind of billed as a hearing to talk about the protective order and whether or not the judge was going to enter one. But they ended up talking about the trial date and when the trial date's going to be. And then Donald Trump's lawyers talked about how they were going to be filing this motion to remove the case to federal court which I was like, under what basis? And then they filed this motion to actually try to remove the case to federal court, and it was, like, as frivolous as I thought it was going to be. And Ultimately, I think their strategy there when they tried to transfer this case is, I think they wanted to find their own Eileen Cannon. in the uh, Southern District of New York Federal Courthouse, the way Judge Eileen Cannon accepted jurisdiction on the search warrant uh, issues down in Mar-a-Lago when she shouldn't have accepted jurisdiction, with the thought being, and she eventually got overruled by the Court of Appeals in a scathing order, with the thought being, if we could delay this thing the way Eileen Cannon did for five or six months, even though that didn't really cause significant impact in what Jack Smith's doing, Five or six months, if we're talking about trial dates like that were being discussed at this hearing, um, February, March of 2024, you push this thing out closer to the election, and then you could basically claim, I can't have the criminal. trial at all. So let's try to get a judge. And they were obviously trying to get Mary Kay Viscasil, the judge. who just made that favorable ruling for Jim Jordan and said uh, no person is above the law as it relates to Mark Pomerantz, the former deputy district attorney, special deputy district attorney who resigned uh, under the Alvin Bragg tenure and who was uh, previously there and wanted the bigger crimes prosecuted uh, first. Well, she said no one's above the law and Pomerantz needs to testify. The legitimate legislative purpose by Jim Jordan to even interfere with the Manhattan district attorney's ongoing criminal uh, in uh, criminal case and, and before that investigation is the fact Congress just wants to pass a law to immunize Donald Trump and former presidents from any state law criminal cases that they engage in. It's like, what? So if you actually look at the motion that Trump just filed to try to move this case to federal court, he like praises Judge Viscasil over and over and over again in it. And so that's clearly what he was trying to do there. But that didn't exactly go as planned, Popak. So what happened with that motion and what happened with the with this hearing, with the protective order? Kind of like a mini yeah. gag order. They're not calling it that, but it's kind of what it is. Oh, you're right, Ben. Let's start with that. It's a gag order. Uh, he doesn't want to call it a gag order because he's Judge Mershon, who's who, if you and I are right, is going to be the judge presiding over the criminal prosecution of Donald Trump by the Manhattan DA's office, even after this new attempt to move the case, not away from Alvin Bragg as prosecutor, but to a new judge to preside over it, a federal judge, fails. Um, so the judge, we thought it was going to be a hearing um, based on everything that was filed, 
in front of the judge, Judge Marchand, to talk about the motion for protective order that the Manhattan DA's office had filed in order to stop Donald Trump from commenting publicly about evidence that had been presented to, provided to him by the Manhattan DA's office under their due process obligations, constitutional obligations to turn over evidence to the defense, that they that he should be stopped from commenting on that. He should stop from bashing and beating up potential witnesses, evidence to the that moment, protective order that the Manhattan DA's office had filed in front of the judge, a judge um, based on the Bragg as prosecutor, but to a new judge to preside over a federal judge fails. Um, so the judge, we thought it was going to be a hearing, preside over a federal judge fails. Um, so the judge, we thought it was going to be a hearing um, based on the judge. We thought it was going to be a hearing um, based on everything that was filed in front of the judge, Judge Marchand, to talk about the motion for protective order that the Manhattan DA's office had filed in order to stop Donald Trump from commenting publicly about evidence that had been presented to provided to him by the Manhattan DA's office under their due process obligations, constitutional obligations. over evidence to the defense that they that he should be stopped from commenting on that he should stop from bashing and beating up potential witnesses or witnesses like Michael Cohen and others going after the judge going after the judge's daughter he should stop all those things and when the arraignment happened the judge said yeah we'll talk about the evidence and and uh, and I don't want to gag but we'll talk about a protective order at another time and then that was the hearing and so what was what was before the judge at that moment was, when is the trial date going to be? And the judge said, so the judge, we thought it was that he should stop from bashing and beating up obligations to turn over evidence to the DA's office under their due process obligations, constitutional obligations to turn over evidence to the defense. That, they, that he should be stopped from commenting on that. He should stop from bashing and beating up potential witnesses or witnesses like Michael Cohen and others going after the judge, going after the judge's daughter. He should stop all those things. And when the arraignment happened, the judge said, yeah, we'll talk about the evidence and, and, uh, and I don't want to gag, but we'll talk about a protective order at another time. And then that was the hearing. And so what was, what was before the judge at that moment was, when is the trial date going to be? And the judge said, Depending upon what happens with your your uh, motion to take this case to federal court, which was announced in court by Todd Blanche, the lawyer for Donald Trump at that moment, let's put that aside for a minute, Mr. Blanche. If this case stays in my courtroom, I'd like this case to be in February or March of 2024 at DA's office under their due process obligations, constitutional obligations to turn over evidence to the defense. That, they, that he should be stopped from commenting on that. He should stop from bashing and beating up potential witnesses or witnesses like Michael Cohen and others going after the judge, going after the judge's daughter. He should stop all those things. And when the arraignment happened, the judge said, yeah, we'll talk about the evidence and, and, uh, and I don't want to gag, but we'll talk about a protective order at another time. And then that was the hearing. And so what was 
what was before the judge at that moment was, when is the trial date going to be? And the judge said, depending upon what happens with your, your uh, motion to take this case to federal court, which was announced in court by Todd Blanche, the lawyer for Donald Trump at that moment. Let's put that aside for a minute, Mr. Blanche. If this case stays in my courtroom, I'd like this case to be in February or March of 2020. And the DA's office, under their due witnesses or witnesses like Michael Cohen and others, going after the judge, going after the judge's daughter, he should stop all those things. And when the arraignment happened, the judge said, yeah, we'll talk about the evidence and And, uh, and I don't want to gag, but we'll talk about a protective order at another time. And then that was the hearing. And so what was what was before the judge at that moment was, when is the trial date going to be? And the judge said, depending upon what happens with your, your uh, motion to take this case to federal court, which was announced in court by Todd Blanche, the lawyer for Donald Trump at that moment. Let's put that aside for a minute, Mr. Blanche. If this case stays in my courtroom, I'd like this case to be in February or March of 2024. And if, and then I want you guys to go talk about when in February or March that's going to be, which as we all know from the Midas Touch Network and other places, that's right in the heart of primary season. So right in the heart of primary season is gonna be a criminal trial of Donald Trump prosecuted by the Manhattan Police Office. Once they picked that date, the judge told the lawyers, listen, I don't want any scheduling going on by the defendant in order to interfere with the trial date. Uh, you'll know now when that date is. Don't do any speeches or rallies or anything that you're going to come back to this court and claim you can't do the trial. So you need to clear your decks and black out those dates once you select them within February or March of 2024. The judge said, I also recognize that while he has no more rights than any other defendant in my courtroom, he doesn't have any less rights either, and he is running for president again, and I am mindful of his First Amendment rights. So I don't want to call it a gag order, but then, Ben, as you said, what he did was effectively a gag order. Donald Trump, starting now, cannot mention any specific piece of evidence that has been provided to him by the Manhattan DA's office at all. He can talk generally about the case and give sort of his defenses to the case, but he has to do that without commenting or bashing witnesses, prosecutors, the judge, the judge's family, or any particular piece of evidence. So he can say generally, I didn't do it, or they don't have a case.
or you know their witnesses are are, are not going to be believable. But they can't say Michael Cohen is a lying, cheating, you know what, and he's a he's a felon and he can't be trusted. They can't go after any if they give him a piece of evidence that the Manhattan DA has obtained has and turned it over to Donald Trump. He can't say, this is a piece of evidence that I got from the Manhattan DA's office, and this is the problem with it. No. The judge says, if you have it independently, Donald Trump, if you turned it over to the Manhattan DA's office, if that's how they got it, then you can comment on it. So that's how the judge thread the needle about that. Then the Manhattan DA's office, which was led in, uh, for this argument by Sister District Attorney Catherine McCaw, who I assume is like the Karen Freeman Agnifilo of her day, I think this would be Karen, our co-anchor, um, if if this if she was still in the office. So Catherine McCall, Karen knows well and likes a lot, got up and said, Judge, knowing the history of Donald Trump, and she went through again, this is now the third or fourth time the Manhattan DA has put out in the public record all of the bad things that Donald Trump has done, from beating up election workers like Ruby Freeman, to going after prosecutors, to talking about death and destruction, to talking about um, and attacking the judge and the judge's daughter, and all the things leading up to Jan 6th, all of that again. And then she said, you know, he's also got a history of not listening to his lawyers. I think there should be a hearing in which the, the protective order is read aloud to Donald Trump, who himself, not his lawyers, acknowledge its, acknowledges its existence and the terms of the protective order. And the judge says, I agree. Well, they're going to do a virtual hearing then, a Zoom hearing um, or some sort of platform in which Donald Trump pops up on the screen and the judge reads aloud the protective order and the limits of it. Ask him if he has any questions, if he understands the order that's been entered by the court. And Donald Trump's not going to be able just to sit there and like look like an idiot. He's going to go, oh, yes, Joe, yes, I do. Whatever he says, and that's it. He's now bound to this. He can't use this. Is another judge like you liked about Judge Kaplan, who is boxing in Donald Trump and not allowing him to say, "Oh, I would have testified, but I didn't get back from Scotland in time," or or Joe Tacopinas, you know, lied and I don't know why he said I wasn't going to be a witness. I was. Now he can't say lawyers didn't tell me about every little ramification of the conditions of that. So that happened. But the the thing that kind of consumed the news cycle was Todd Blanche announcing in court and then them filing, and we had already put it up on the screen, what's called a notice of removal. Now, you and I as civil lawyers do this all the time or involved with this all the time, usually in a civil case. If a case is filed in state court, and we saw a version of this down in Florida when, uh, use, it, use it as an example, when Donald Trump wanted to uh, attack the New York Attorney General, Letitia James, and say she had no jurisdiction. He filed a case in state court, Palm Beach County, against her. It got, we call it removal. It gets removed with a filing of a notice of removal to federal court if, if there are the proper grounds for removal, which are primarily if there is a what's called a federal question. The, the dispute between the two parties implicates a, a question of federal concern and federal federal law and jurisprudence. We call that the federal question doctrine. Or the parties are of two different uh, uh, jurisdictions, two different states, or a state and a foreign country, and the amount of controversy is about $75,000. We call that diversity jurisdiction doctrine. He's claiming in his removal paper that because, even though he admits that the allegations of the indictment against him for the hush money payment to Stormy Daniels happened while he was candidate Trump and not President Trump. He said, 
is that even the Manhattan DAs um, indictment and the evidence that's been presented shows that the repayment to Michael Cohen, your podcast, your, your fellow podcast host, was made while he was in the White House. So Michael Cohen, this is this is now facts. We know this from Michael's testimony and from what's in the indictment. Michael Cohen laid out $130,000, wrote a check to Stormy Daniels' lawyer and paid him to her for the hush money payment. Michael Cohen testified that he got repaid over $440,000 related to that. And it was, it was couched and hidden and masked, masked as a retainer payment, a legal retainer payment for services rendered as a lawyer. Not true. He just laid out the money for Donald Trump and Donald Trump repaid him and then put a bonus on top of it and did it in payments. Some or all of those payments of repayment happened while Donald Trump was in the White House as president. That's their argument then, that this is a federal question because when he repaid fraudulently the money, he happened to be doing it while he sat in the White House. When I looked at the statute, and we'll put up, we'll put up the statute on the screen. When I looked at the federal jurisdiction statute, which is 28 USC 1442, a little one, which is their basis to try to get a case, you have to have been work. You had you had to be a federal officer. federal person working under color of law in that office for which you are now being prosecuted in the state system for which the case should now be moved to a federal judge to preside over the state prosecution. That's the facts. Ben, where are those facts here? What color of law was he operating on when he when he authorized the check to be written back to Michael Cohen after the hush money had already happened? Well, everything he does backfires and all of his legal strategies, you know, whether you call him a professional rake stepper or a professional hole digger, he keeps on digging and keeps on stepping on rakes. Because what he's essentially saying here is, I'm also guilty of federal crimes. So the Fed should prosecute me too. And he's right. I mean, he shouldn't be charged with federal crimes. I mean, he was largely protected by Bill Barr um, from that in real time. Um, but Michael Cohen always says, hey, he should have been charged with that. They shouldn't have gone after me with the feds and not him. Um, but the very essence of the Manhattan District Attorney's case, these are cookie-cutter state law claims, 34 felony counts under New York state law. And so there is not a federal hook here at all. But I think... It's it's the ultimate irony is Trump's basically and he's basically saying, look, my crimes are federal. The Fed should go after me also. And so, you know, again, uh, this case is going to be tried in the state court. This is going nowhere. Um, last word on this case, Pokemon, because then we've got another state prosecution as well. Well, I want to wrap up what you started with, which is the judge shopping. He wanted Mary Kay Vocasile. Now, let me just explain quickly as a pra person who practices in the Southern District of New York. Most, almost all of the judges of the Southern District of New York, because federal judges are first nominated by the senators of the state. 
and New York is completely blue. It has been blue forever. And the, and the senators of New York have been blue Democrat forever. And all of their nominees are, are, you know, people on our side of the aisle. So the Southern District of New York is not a favorable place for Donald Trump. I don't know why he thinks it is. He, he, he really must believe that Mershon, the judge in the state court, has it out for him, which there's been no indication that that's true at all based on anything that's happened in the courtroom or otherwise about Judge Mershon, who's a stand-up jurist and very well respected in the court system in New York. He doesn't like the fact that he presided over the fact that the jury, not Judge Mershon, convicted two of his major entities of 17 counts of fraud, but that's, that's not on Judge Mershon. So when he tried to get judge, so there's only like one or two judges that came in under Trump, one of them, Mary, J, Mary Kay Vokasile, who ruled, as you said, in favor of Donald Trump against Alvin Bragg or in favor of Jim Jordan. I'm sorry, I got confused. It's always it's Trump and Jordan show. Um, so he thought, oh, crap, I'd like to get Vokasile. So he put in some language in that notice of removal, almost like an invitation for the clerk <laughs> of the court, for, right, for the clerk of the court to assign it to Vokasile. Like, please, Vokasile. And the clerk of the court went, no, I'm doing random assignment. And his first judge that came up, like, you know, one of these lottery where the, 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 the ping pong ball pops up, boop, it was Ronnie Abrams. Ronnie Abrams is an amazing, she's an amazing uh, federal judge. She's the daughter of Floyd Abrams, a world-renowned civil rights lawyer, liberal. She's, she's the, uh, da- uh, the sister of Dan Abrams, a very well-known legal commentator and author. And she's the wife of a lawyer who prosecuted Donald Trump and investigated Donald Trump along with Mueller for the Mueller report. So we were like, oh, good job, Trump. You're now with with Ronnie Abrams to decide this. Now, Ronnie Abrams, uh, about a half a day ago, looked at it and said, you know what? Appearance of impropriety. I don't like it. And she recused herself. See, there is a judge who's got ethics, has integrity, unlike on our U.S. Supreme Court took one look at it, even though she doesn't technically have to accuse herself because of what her husband does at all, you know, but she did. So the wheels spun again and up came somebody worse for Donald Trump. And it is, if you and I were commenting on this before, it's Judge Hellerstein, Al Hellerstein. Here's a great shot of this. Is, this sums up Al Hellerstein completely. I mean, look at that face. Look at that hat. <laughs> I mean, this guy is no nonsense. He's a Clinton appointee. He's 90 years old. He's been on the bench for almost 30 years. And the, t- and the cases that he's handled before this, if you want to know sort of if, if, uh, if past his prologue, what's he going to do here? He's handled 9-11 cases. He's handled Agu Grabe cases. But more importantly, he was the judge presided over the Harvey Weinstein case where Harvey went down, of course, in flames for a rape charge. And he is the one that like, let Michael Cohen out of home confinement because he found that Donald Trump and Donald Trump's Department of Justice and Bureau of Prisons was retaliating against Michael Cohen um, and should have let him out and let him out of home confinement. So he let, so he knows, every, as a 90-year-old jurist who's lived in New York his whole life, he knows Donald Trump like the back of his hand. He knows how to handle cases like this one. He knows removal, and you know where he's at in his mind with, with Michael Cohen. I, they don't even need it. Two things. I'll leave it on this. They don't need a hearing to decide this. In fact, almost never in my career has a notice of removal file led to a hearing. It's done usually on the papers. Usually there's, there's not an evidentiary hearing even conducted. Alvin Bragg can file a paper, paper, but if the notice of removal 
is not appropriate on its face on the four corners of the document the judge can just reject it and deny it and if he denies it it is not appealable to any federal circuit court it dies in that chambers with the judge period so we're not going to have an appeal this is going to get ruled on really quickly then it could be within a week it definitely did not go as donald trump planned and as i mentioned there's now language in this removal that he thinks his crimes are federal as well so maybe the feds are reading that and saying you know what maybe we should take a second look at that but also talking about state prosecutions or at least state criminal investigations a important update out in fulton county georgia um where uh the lawyer for about 10 of these fake electors who was called out by Fulton County District Attorney Fawny Willis about a week or so ago, which we covered here on Legal AF, their lawyer responded, and their lawyer in the motion that was filed, the, the lawyer representing these fake electors, there was a total of 16 fake electors. This lawyer, uh, Dubrow, um, uh, represents 10 of these fake electors. They affix their signatures to a false electoral certificate claiming that Trump won when Biden won. And their whole claim is it was just a backup plan that we were doing in case he won the lawsuits that he filed, the frivolous lawsuits that he filed, where, by the way, we now know through other court rulings that he uh, lied under penalty of perjury regarding evidence of voter fraud that didn't exist, and he was aware of it when he signed these fraudulent declarations. But to me, it's the lamest defense in the world for a variety of reasons. But okay. Okay, then if you were waiting as a backup plan, well, when Trump lost the lawsuits, then why didn't you withdraw it? Now, nah, y'all were waiting until the January 6th insurrection to go how you would have liked it to have gone, and then you were part of the overall cons uh, conspiracy there. But look, speaking of conspiracy, Phony Willis, Fulton County District Attorney, she's looking at RICO charges. She's looking at common plan and scheme between the fake electors, between some of the individuals who also happen to be fake electors, who like went into election offices and stole election data as well and gave it to the Trump campaign so they could manipulate it. Um, but essentially in this filing by the lawyer who represents the fake electors, the lawyer says, look, there is no conflict of interest that I have because, and, and I'm not saying that these fake electors can't cooperate because eight of the fake electors have already accepted 
immunity deals with the Bolton County District Attorney's Office, and they have provided information. So why are you accusing me of, of not giving them immunity, presenting them with your immunity deals? They've accepted them. So uh, there's there's a lot of there's a lot going on here, Popak, because these are diametrically different motions, right? On the one hand, you have the district attorney's office saying, at no time, at no time, did the lawyer for these fake electors tell the fake electors that an immunity deal was given, and now you have the lawyer representing the fake electors saying that eight accepted the deal. That, those are very different stories. So what's going on here? This is the one time on Legal AF I'm going to tell you I'm not quite sure. Um, the, but I did read I did read all the motion practices you did. So we learned about this, and you and I did it on Legal AF. I did a hot take on it about um, Fawny Willis bringing to the court's attention a yet another motion to disqualify, as you said, Kim DeBrow. Kim DeBrow is a local criminal defense lawyer in Fulton County, Georgia, who just happens to be having her bills paid for by the the Georgia GOP, uh, Republican Party, which is publicly disclosed. It's not something I found out on my own. Um, but she also used to work as a special prosecutor in, in Fawny Willis's office, I think before Fawny Willis became the Fulton County DA. And um, the whole conflict started because she and her then co-counsel, um, uh, Pearson, Holly Pearson represented like almost all of the fake electors simultaneously at the same time. Not all of them, but almost all of them, like 11 of them or 12 of them. And early on, the judge says, I don't like that, uh, especially especially the head of the GOP, the head of the Republican Party for for uh, Georgia, uh, David Schaefer. He better get his own lawyer. So. Holly Pearson went off and represented just that guy and still represents just that guy. And Kim DeBrow kept all of the rest of the 10 that she had with her. Now, apparently, we didn't learn about this until like a month ago. At the end of the year, towards the end of the year, Fawny Willis's offices, office investigators went to Kim DeBrow and said, um, because the judge had told them to, offer an immunity deal to the fake electors to see if they're going to if they're going to cooperate and we were surprised that none of the 10 not one thought enough about their personal liability and criminal jeopardy to take an immunity deal which means they wouldn't be prosecuted for any of the crimes related to the fake elector scandal which again is a group of people in december 12th of 2020 getting into a room acting like they were real electors for the state of Georgia after there had already been three certifications of the election and recounts and hand recounts in Fulton County and other places certifying Joe Biden. So Joe Biden won Georgia three times. They yet, despite that, they met in a room, signed a certificate like they were electors and sent it to the National Archive and sent it into the Senate chamber for, for Mike Pence to consider to buy their, their cult leader, Donald Trump, more time in their testimony. Okay, so that's what they did. And they're all part of the Republican, Georgia Republican Party apparatus. They're secretaries, they're treasurers, they're the chair people, they run the county organization. And so these are big shots, big, big people at the top that all got put in. Not one of them thought it was a good idea to flip by Donald Trump and cooperate with Tony Willis's office, so that was weird. And it turned out that that wasn't completely true. The, 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 part, the DA's office told the judge that when they interviewed in the beginning of April, two of the witnesses, meaning they were cooperating, 
that Kim DeBrow had two fake electors who wanted to point the finger at another one or two. So now she can't represent all of them because now they're shooting at each other. It's a circle, circle, circular firing squad. So they happened to ask these two, well, did you know that we had a immunity deal on the table for you? And they said, no, we never knew that. So Fawny Willis ran back to court and said, you know what, Judge, we've got an ethical problem here. They, they knew or should have known about that deal because we told their lawyers and they didn't know about it. Now, in responding to the motion to disqualify, um, Kim DeBrow believes that she's been sanitized and immunized from any problem with the disqualification because since that time in early April, she's now disclosed in her filing this week that eight out of the 10 of her witnesses, of her defendants, clients, are going to cooperate. That's filing this week. That eight. told to point the finger at another one or two so now she can't represent all of them because now they're shooting at each other it's a circling circle circular firing squad so they happened to ask these two well did you know that we had a immunity deal on the table for you and they said no we never knew that so phony willis ran back to court and said you know what judge we got an ethical problem here they should they knew or should have known about that deal because we told their lawyers and they didn't know about it. Now, in responding to the motion to disqualify, fraud case. Um, Kim DeBrow believes that she's been sanitized and immunized from any problem with the disqualification. Exclamation point. Because since that time in early April, she's now disclosed. Ten fake electors. out of the 10 of her witnesses, of her defendants, clients are going to cooperate. That's how you and I and the rest of the public learned that there, as of yesterday, there are eight cooperating fake electors at the highest level of the Georgia Republic to point the finger at another one or two. So now she can't represent all of them because now they're shooting at each other. It's a circling, circle, circular firing squad. So they happened to ask these two, well, did you know that we had a immunity deal on the table for you. And they said, no, we never knew that. So Phony Willis ran back to court and said, you know what, Judge, we've got an ethical problem here. They, sh they knew or should have known about that deal because we told their lawyers, and they didn't know about it. Now, in responding to the motion to disqualify, um, Kim DeBrow believes that she's been sanitized and immunized from any problem with the disqualification because since that time in early April, She's now disclosed in her filing this week that eight out of the 10 of her witnesses, of her defendants, clients, are going to cooperate. That's how you and I and the rest of the public learned that there, as of yesterday, there are eight cooperating fake electors at the highest level of the Georgia Republic to point the finger at another one or two. So now she can't represent all of them because now they're shooting at each other. It's a circling, circle, circular firing squad. So... They happened to ask these two, well, did you know 
that we had a, an immunity deal on the table for you. And they said, no, we never knew that. So funny, well, that's how you and I and the rest of the public learned that there, as of yesterday, there are eight cooperating fake electors at the highest level of the Georgia Republican Party who are now sitting with, with Fawny Willis's investigators and are cooperating and are giving statements and testimony that will be used as part of what? A part of Fawny Willis's master conspiracy, civil RICO, racketeering influence and corrupt organization act, mob, okay. mob, uh, uh, play, mob uh, prosecution, which will tie in if we're right. And she's gonna bring this case, we believe, based on her own press conference, her own filings, She's going to be bringing this to the regular grand jury in the July regular grand jury. They meet every two months or the September one. By the end of September. Will be disbarred for failing to notify Community deal, exclamation points. Now eight out of ten fake electors. Fake electors, not collectors. Fake electors. Testify for the prosecution. Ha ha ha. Bonnie Willis. Good job. And Rico case, yes, and racketeering, yeah, yeah, Rico, racketeering.
have 50 followers uh, just for governor page. Rico you and I, I think both believe there's got to be corrupt. a regular grand jury, a and return corrupt. of an indictment in, against no. multiple people. Now with them, these cooperating witnesses firmly in her back pocket against people like Donald Trump at the center, Mark Meadows, Rudy Giuliani, um, uh, uh, maybe Lindsey Graham, because he was involved in a couple of phone calls, the fake electors, which, which encompasses all of the different thrusts of the election interference that are at the heart of Georgia. The phone call from the multiple phone calls by Donald Trump to elected officials, speakers of the House, the state, the secretary of state to try to get convince them to flip the election, steal the election from Joe Biden and send it over to him. The ones that Mark Meadows participated in Rudy Giuliani running around the state holding fake hearings, trying to pressure uh, with lawsuits that had no merit to try to turn the election. Uh, Lindsey Graham phoning in from his Senate chamber or wherever he was phoning in to try to find, you know, throw out mail in ballots that were properly cast. All of that can fall under the rubric of account for civil RICO conspiracy and these eight people now cooperating. So it's interesting, like, what's going on with Kim DeBrow with its qualification motion and the ethics. I didn't care about that. I was like, there are eight cooperating fake electors who are now sitting with investigators for her office as she builds her RICO case going to a grand jury in July and September. For me, Ben, that was the takeaway. So roll up your sleeves. This is going to be exciting. This is never going to be a dull moment from here on out on legal AF, although I don't think there was any dull moments before, but we're going to be kept very, very, very busy breaking down these fairly complex cases in ways that I just think make complete sense and uh, tying together all of these cases and and how they all fit into this one uh, overall uh, importance of holding up law and order and making sure that law and order truly means that and is not just said in some performative way. But we need justice in our justice system. That's what we stand for here on Legal AF. That's what the Legal AF community stands for. So we thank you all members of the Legal AF community, all the Legal AFers. It is just incredible to see all of those who are there with uh, there with us from day one, still here, seeing the community grow and grow and grow as we break records for how many people are watching these live and how many people watch and listen on audio and on YouTube. So if you're watching this on YouTube, do us a favor. This is one way you can help subscribe on our audio podcast as well. Wherever you get audio podcasts, just search Legal AF and make sure you subscribe there uh, to the audio podcast. For those who just listen on the audio podcast, make sure you subscribe on YouTube as well. Um, make sure you check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. Go to store.midastouch.com for the best pro-democracy gear. We love you. Thank you so much for watching this. I'm Ben Micellis, joined by Michael Popak. Thank you all, Legal AFers, and shout out to the Midas Mighty. Mighty. <laughs>